grab a seat. It's great to have you here. Sorry, I'm just, am I echoing or something? Oh, I don't know what it is. is it, I don't know. In my fallback. I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's all right. Maybe you can figure it out. How's everyone going? Good? Awesome. Um, I'm a teacher at Mueller College. So as you come in, you would have seen that we're on campus here at Carmichael College. And Carmichael and Mueller are connected. So I don't, I, I keep forgetting how they describe it. At one stage, Carmichael was like the daughter campus, and then it was the second campus, and then I don't even know where it's at at the moment, but Carmichael and Mueller are connected schools, and I work at Mueller as a maths teacher and Christian studies teacher, look after chapels and a few other things out there. And um, one of my roles as a teacher is that I need to do what they call playground duty. Do you remember being in high school, and the teacher would come around and make you pick up litter, all that kind of stuff? It's a fun job. I love playground duty. I actually do like it because I get to hang out with people. Anyway, I mostly teach year 10, 11, and 12. So I mostly teach um, people who are young adults. Um, but every now and again, I have to um, encounter year sevens. And, and um, on about two or three weeks ago, I was on playground duty, and there was a bunch of year seven boys, 15, 20 of them, and they were having a massive food fight. And we're like crazy food, like heaps of food going everywhere, stuff going in people's faces. It was nuts. It was the kind of stuff you see in movies. Anyway, I'm thinking, oh man, I don't know what's going on. I don't know these students. So I walk in, I'm like, oi, righto, everyone, stop what you're doing. Okay. Right, everyone sit down, be quiet, we're going to find out what's going on. So I'm thinking, I'm in full-on teacher mode, right? Like, this is me, I never get angry really, so I'm like in full-on teacher mode. Anyway, I said, right, now, whose food was that? One kid puts his hand up, I said, right, you stand up. So one kid stands up, I said, okay, I know what was going on here, but this guy here, he's going to get in a lot of trouble. And you young men, you year seven kids, you young men, some of you were involved, and this is what's going to happen. On the count of three, you're going to stand up with him, and you're going to cop it, because your mate's going to get in a lot of trouble, and you're going to be a man, and you're going to stand there with him and cop it with him. One, two, three, and about 11 of them stand up, and I'm thinking, I am like the best teacher ever, right? I got kids who I didn't know were doing the wrong thing to stand up. I'm like, this is awesome. I said, right, good on you guys. You've been young men here. This is what it means to be a man. You cop it on the chin. Let's go over here away from everyone else. So I bring them over. I said, right, okay, now... This is what's going on, right? You're throwing food. How would you feel? I said to the kid who had it, I said, how would you feel if I came over to your house and started throwing food in your house like this? He's like, I wouldn't like it. And he's starting to get a little bit worried. You know, I'm in teacher mode. He says, right, okay. Now, if I came over to your house and started throwing food like that, would you want me to come back to your house? He goes, no. I said, well, why should we want you to come back to Mueller College? With that, he just burst into tears. He thinks he's about to get expelled for a food fight. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, right? So now's this kid. I'm thinking I'm the best teacher ever. I've nailed all these kids for doing the wrong thing. I was going to scare them a little bit. That was it. Now I'm having to comfort this kid who's been doing the wrong thing. I'm like, mate, you're not going to get expelled. It's okay. I don't even give detentions. I'm not even a very strict teacher. I would have been quite happy to walk past. I don't even care. Just pick up the food. Like I was seriously for 15 minutes like, mate, it's fine. Do you want to go see the chaplain? Like, it's okay. You're not going to be in trouble. So I'm like thinking on one hand, I'm like, I've awesome this teacher like I'm not very good at discipline but I finally nailed it and then I couldn't even do that right it was just a disaster now today we're, we're starting a three-week series called making sense of the bible now I'm hoping it will go really well because I'm hoping we're going to do some stuff that's super helpful well certainly the stuff that I'm sharing today it's been a big long journey I've been on I'm going to share some of the stuff that has been helpful for me at least 
But there is a danger it could go really wrong, like my talk with the year sevens, and be a disaster. And I'm just flagging that early because there is a danger, number one, I could be significantly misunderstood. So I'm just asking you to work really hard to try to, you know, work with what I'm I'm going to try and be really clear, but I need you to work really hard to not accidentally misunderstand me or, you know, deliberately go out of your way to come here. I think he said that, you know. The second thing is I might raise more questions than I answer. But this is part of growing and learning, right? So I need, I, I want you to know up front, I'm a bit nervous about today. I think it could be really helpful, but for some people it may not be helpful. So I'm just, I'm just praying that it would be a helpful experience whether we're Christian or not today. Is that cool? Are you willing to go on the journey? Also, I'm a high school teacher, so today's going to be a bit more interactive. So you need to be willing to be a bit interactive. Are you willing to do that? Are you scared of me? I'm not actually very strict. I don't give detention. Do you go to Mueller? Have you ever seen me give detention? I don't give detentions. You can come to my class, you can talk, you can throw food as far as I'm concerned. I don't care, right? I'm not, very, I'm not that scary, right? So is everyone cool? Okay, right. So uh, this is what we're going to do. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to be very careful. Has anyone heard of Wakanda? Has anyone heard of Wakanda? I've got a PowerPoint here. I'll show you a photo. Okay, this is a picture of Wakanda. It is a fictitious or fictional? What's the word? Fictitious? Or fi- can I use either? It's made up. It's not real. It's in the Marvel comics. It's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's part of Black Panther. There is a student who decided in his high school to do a presentation to his teacher and the rest of the class about Wakanda as if it was real and the teacher did not know anything that was going on. Watch this video. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
only thing oh. more shocking than this tragedy is the fact you didn't know about it. There we go. So, <laughs> um, when it comes to the Bible, I think a lot of us can feel a little bit like this lady, this teacher who has kind of been taken for a ride. And and we, we hear about all this stuff, and some of it seems pretty far-fetched, if we're honest. We're not really a Christian, not really believing the supernatural. Some of it seems pretty full-on. And everyone else seems to be saying, well, this is true, and this is real, and all that kind of stuff. But others of us are going, well, is this a joke? Are you making this up? Like, I know there's a lot of people who believe this. And, and really, the question I want to ask today, and I think this is worth asking, how could someone come to believe that the Bible is God's Word? Now, as you can imagine, this is a huge question, right? But I want to try to deal with this question the best I can. How could someone believe, come to believe that the Bible is God's Word? So if you speak to a Christian and you ask them about the Bible, they, won't, they, might, even, they might not even really use the term the Bible. They sometimes talk about the Word of God or the Scriptures. And what they really are saying is they believe that this, this collection of books, it's 39 books in the Old Testament, in the, in the first half of the Bible, and the 27 books in the New Testament, this collection or library of books is from God or God's Word or God's words to us today, that God speaks through the Bible to His people. Now, that's a huge claim. And everything that we believe rests upon this being true, right? So that's a huge claim. So what I want to do today is ask the question. I'm not, by the way, I'm not here to try to, if you don't believe that, I'm not here to try to convince you otherwise. I'm just trying to answer the question, how does someone come to believe that? There's lots of people. Who would believe the Bible is God's word, right? Okay, there's lots of people here and there'd be lots of people outside this room who believe that. How is it that people come to believe that? You might think we're wrong, and that's, that's a whole other discussion, but I just want to show how it is possible that someone could come to believe that. The first approach would probably be called the, maybe is like an experiential approach. Sorry, I'm doing my PowerPoint today. I forgot I'm doing my PowerPoint. The first approach is the experiential approach. Actually, um, Nathaniel, if it's okay, I might get you to do it. I can't do two things at once. Um, I never do my own PowerPoint, but I'll, I might take over at one stage. The first approach is the experiential approach. Now, um, if, I, if I ask you about gravity, who learnt about gravity as a young child, right? You would have learnt about gravity. Now, I don't know what definition, Gav, you've got kids. How would you describe gravity to a young child? Yep, okay, that's actually way too scientific. You've ruined my talk. Okay, right, so, but we would probably say because of gravity, things fall to the earth. Would you agree with that? Did you do physics? You just know stuff. You've actually ruined it. It's okay. Yeah, no, it's okay. But we would talk about things falling to the earth. Would you agree? Something like that. Now, when you're a young child, you don't understand the science of that. You just say that makes sense. Now, what happens is when you get told that because of gravity, things fall to the earth, you begin to experience the power of gravity. So they told you that because of gravity, things fall to the earth, and then you drop things and they fall to the earth. You have no reason to question it. You've experienced the power of gravity in your life. Added to that... But you can make use of gravity. So you might want to, you know, roll something down a hill to get it to your brother or your sister. You can make use of gravity. Even as a young child, you know how to make use of gravity and leverage it for your purposes. Also, it helps you make sense of the world. When you see, you know, when you see, um, you know, when you throw the ball up in the sky and you see it falling back down towards the, the earth, it helps you make sense of the world. The theory of gravity helps you make sense of the world. Now, that's fine. What you probably don't get taught is this. Check out this formula. 
this is the formula for gravitational force. And as Gav said, gravity is actually not something that just attracts people down, that attracts an object down towards the Earth. It is actually a force that is the product of two masses. It is between two masses. So in the same way that the Earth attracts me to, the, to itself, I actually attract the Earth to myself. There's actually a gravitational force of attraction, right, between me and Gav right now. If anyone ever says, this is what I say in physics, if anyone says you're not attractive, that's not true. You have gravitational attraction at all times, right? You are attracting every single piece of matter in the universe towards yourself. But because your mass isn't very, very large compared to the Earth, the pull towards the Earth is much greater than your pull of the earth towards you. So you don't need to know that to understand gravity. I don't walk up to a year, you know, five-year-old child and go, you say you believe in gravity, explain the gravitational formula. You don't understand gravity at all and then walk away. We don't do that because we are quite okay. Most of you probably haven't studied physics and that's a good thing, by the way. If you become a physicist, you end up like the people from Big Bang Theory. It's true, right? But if you haven't studied physics, and you don't know the gravitational formula, that doesn't affect your life. It's completely fine. Is it okay to have an experiential approach? Yes. And in the same way, many of us had the same approach with the Bible. Who grew up in a situation where they were told from a young age the Bible is true and it's from God? Who's in that category? Okay, maybe about half of us here. Now, I wasn't from a church background. I was kind of told something like that, but not necessarily that, right? But as a young child, you might be told the Bible is God's Word. And you then begin to experience the power of God. You don't, you don't question whether the Bible is God's Word or not. You're just told the Bible is God's Word. But you begin to see God answer prayer. You begin to see God work in your life. And you begin to experience the power of God. So it confirms what you've been told. Also, you begin to make use of the Bible in your life. When the Bible says it's better to love and forgive people than it is to hurt them and harm them, you begin to apply that in your life and it makes sense to you and you think this is a better way to live. Added to that, it helps you make sense of the world. Whilst it's not great that this world has suffering, the Bible describes why there is suffering. While it's not great that sometimes we have to do difficult things in life and go through hard times, the Bible talks about there's a purpose behind these things. The Bible helps us make sense of the world. Now, if you believe the Bible is God's Word because you were told the Bible was God's Word as a young age, my mum told me, my dad told me, my pastor told me, the Bible told me, whatever, that is fine. That is good. And if you have then since experienced the power of God in your life, if, it's, if you've been able to apply the principles from the Bible in your life and it's helped you make sense of the world, and all of those things have confirmed to you that what you were told as a child is right and correct and true, that is fine. That is good. And that is where most of us sit. Is that cool? Okay, here's the bit that could be confusing. What if you weren't told that as a child? What if someone walks through our door tomorrow and they say, I'm not a Christian. I've heard that you believe that this Bible or collection of books or whatever it is that you call it, the Scriptures, I've heard you believe it is from God. It's the words of God, the Word of God. Can you tell me why I should believe that? And if you say, and I say, well, my mum told me. They're going to go, that's great. I don't know your mum, and that's not a very good answer. Is this making sense? So on one hand, it's fine if this is our answer for ourselves. It just may not be helpful for everyone. 
It might be fine for some, but not for others. Is that cool? So what I want to do in the rest of the time we have today is give perhaps another way that people come to believe the Bible is God's Word, rather than just saying, my mum told me, my dad told me, my pastor told me, or even the Bible tells me. Because if I don't believe the Bible is God's Word, I don't necessarily believe the Bible when it says the Bible is God's Word. Is this making sense? Okay, circular reasoning. Okay, so are you ready? Good? Okay, we're going to imagine, we're going to do an intellectual approach. We're going to imagine that we are alive in the first century and that we're doing like a lockdown situation and this is a big think tank, right? And we don't know what to believe about Christianity. Well, Christianity's kind of not even started yet. This is while Jesus is around performing miracles. He's still alive. The Jewish people keep talking about their scriptures, they refer to it as, as their scriptures. We would refer to their scriptures as the Old Testament. So I'll call it the Old Testament, right? So um, I might just put that up. Actually, I could probably take over from now, if that's all right. Okay, so the Jewish people, they're talking about what they refer to as their scriptures. We would refer to it today as their Old Testament. Now, they're saying that these scriptures, these 39 books are from God and they're God's word. We don't know whether to believe them or not. So we're trying to work out, added to that, there's this guy Jesus on the scene and people are saying he's performing miracles and he's, he's teaching things that no one's ever heard before. And some people are saying he's like the Messiah, the promised one. And we're like, well... We just don't know what to believe. Like, we're not against it. We're just confused. Is that fair enough? So what we're going to do is we're going to pretend that we're studying this. We're going to get together every week, once a week, for however long, and try to figure this out. The first thing we want to know is this. Are the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament as we would call it, are they actually prophesying or pointing? Are they talking about a coming Messiah? And if so, is that Jesus? So what we're going to do is, um, where's Janine? So Janine's here. Janine, we're going to send Janine off. Janine's going to do some research and she's going to say, look, I'll go do some research. I'll find out. I'll, I'll see some, some Jewish people. I'll read their scriptures. I'll find out what the Jewish scriptures are saying about the Messiah and see whether that matches Jesus. So bang, a week later, oh, Janine, you've come back. Come up, give Janine a big round of applause. What did you find? Well, Mark, it was pretty exciting. There are various um, scriptures in the Old Testament that point towards the Messiah. So I've just got four to read out today. Um, the first one's from Numbers 24:17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not, but, n- <laughs> but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So the sec- second scripture is from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And the third one is from Isaiah 42, 1 to 3. Here is my servant who I, am, who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And the last one is from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Awesome. Thanks very much. That's fantastic. So Janine's done some great research there now. Um, so we hear that. We're in our little think tank and we're like, okay, well, the Jewish scriptures seem to be talking about coming Messiah and some of those things... You know, from what we've heard about Jesus, that could be him. Like, we're like, okay, we're not, we're not against it. We're on the fence still. We're still trying to work it out. We keep meeting week after week after week after week. And then all of a sudden, bang, we hear, hang on. There was this full-on event. The, the guy, Jesus, that they said could be the promised Messiah, he died this week. He was crucified. They killed him. They, they put him on a cross. He was brutally, like, just basically, he was basically brutally crucified on a cross. And they were sure he was dead. But get this, three days later, people are saying that he rose from the dead. And there's all these people running around saying he rose from the dead. So we keep meeting week after week and we're like, well, hang on. We need to figure out, is this true? Like, how do we know? Like, is this, how do we, we, we weren't there. We were too busy having our think tank. We missed the resurrection or the, the supposed resurrection. We're trying to work out, did this happen? So again, we're going to send someone off. We need to find out, did this actually happen? Was Jesus... Was he dead? Was he buried? Did he rise from the dead? So where's Shania? So Shania, Shania's going to go off. We send Shania off. She's going to do some research. A week later, Shania comes back. Give Shania a big round of applause. So Shania, what do you think about this Jesus guy? Um, well, guys, I found out some pretty cool stuff. Uh, the first thing that I was just almost mind blown when I heard about it is the tomb was empty. In this book called uh, Luke, chapter 24, verse 2 to 3, it says that they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That's pretty cool. Uh, the second thing was um, that they saw angels. There was an appearance of angels. Uh, in the book of Matthew 28, verse 5 to 6, it says, uh, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Fired. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Uh, the third thing was that Jesus appeared to his disciples and ate with them. In uh, Luke, again, uh, chapter 24, verse 36 to 43, it says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. And uh, the last thing was that he appeared to more than 500 people. Uh, this guy called Paul wrote um, a book called 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6. It says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Shania. Fantastic. So, so what we've got here is that we, we now have some people saying that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, Shania was quoting passages from the New Testament there. But she's just quoting real people who wrote documents about Jesus. 
So Matthew was a real person. He wrote a biography of Jesus. Luke was a real person who wrote a biography. You see what I'm saying? So you might not believe the Bible is God's word. You just think, well, look, I think these are historical records about Jesus. I'm going to take them as that. And, and we kind of go forward in time and the Apostle Paul becomes a Christian, all this kind of stuff. And, and he says, look, there's, there's, there's so many people who saw Jesus. There's more than 500 that we've got to count of that saw Jesus. So now we have to make a decision as a think tank. Are we going to buy into the resurrection? Well, if the answer is no, that's the end of the story. Okay, so if you want to know why you would reject Christianity, it's because you get to the point of the resurrection and you're like, it's not for me, don't believe it. That's fine. You're welcome to hold that view and we would, we would hope that you feel loved and valued, but that's the end. There's no Christian faith without the resurrection. Is this making sense? But if we, let's say, as a, as a group... Some of us might peel off and go, look, I'm not really into this resurrection stuff. That's too much for me. When I was talking about maybe the prophecies, maybe that was fine, but the resurrection is too much, they're going to leave. That's fine. And we love them and care for them and do what we can to help them, but they don't want to be part of this think tank anymore. But those of us who are saying, staying, we're saying, okay, we're going to bind to the resurrection. We believe it happened. We, we do some careful research. We think it now happened. Now, we're still trying to work out about this Old Testament, this Jewish scriptures, if we believe Jesus rose from the dead, it would probably make sense to find out what he thought of the Old Testament. Wouldn't you agree? So we should probably find out how did Jesus treat the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. So um, if we can get, um, is it Gav? Are you coming up? Yep. Gav, Gav goes off. He does some research on what Jesus thought of the Old Testament. What have you got? I did a lot of research, and then Mark gave me all the answers. So th th we're asking the question, what did Jesus think about the Old Testament? And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, the smallest, not even the smallest letter, or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And just if, you know, if that doesn't convince you enough, Mark, I've got another couple of answers here too for you. Yeah. Jesus also said to some scribes and Pharisees, you're in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And as well, at the very end, we've just been talking about resurrection, and Jesus talks about this as well. He says that, but about the resurrection and the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And you talked a little bit before about um, prophecies and whether or not we can take them seriously. And I also did a very quick little bit of research for you, Mark, that actually talked about if you wanted a God sign to say, this is how you could actually rely on the, if you could actually rely on the Old Testament as being true. Well, there's over 50 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And some of those are really, really detailed. Things like a guy coming up out of Egypt, a guy from Bethlehem. You've got a whole lot of those. And if you added up over 50 different each of those different prophecies and tried to get one person to fulfill it in history, do you know what the number would be? Let's give you a God number right now. Imagine you had one dollar coin, one dollar coin, and you put it in the middle of the continent of Australia, and then you filled Australia and every other continent in the world 
up to 70 meters high of $1 coins. And then God goes and gets Mark, blindfolds him, throws him into the middle of Russia and says, go and find that $1 coin. That is the chances of one person in the whole of history answering over 50 detailed prophecies. That is, that's a pretty big God number. And that's the stuff that Jesus knew when he was talking to us about those answers that we gave before, that he trusted the Old Testament and probably we can too. So that's, that's, your, that's your think tank um, uh, contribution. Oh, thank you. So Gav did extra research with no notice. So thank you for that. Awesome. Good work, Gav. Okay, so here's the go. Let's see if we can make sense of this now. Okay, so this is where we're at. The Jewish scriptures, as we call them the Old Testament, they pointed to a Messiah. It looks like that's Jesus. We come to believe Jesus rose from the dead, so therefore he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Added to that, Jesus looks back and says, by the way, the law and the prophets, that's Jesus' way of saying the Old Testament, that's how they described it, they cannot pass away, they're, you know, this is what they're, they're there for. And added to that, he uses the term word of God or God's word and scriptures interchangeably. He treats them as if they are the very words of God. He quotes them authoritatively. So um, Andy Stanley would say, you can, why, do I, why do we believe in the Old Testament? Because Jesus did. If a guy rises from the dead, we should just go with him. Is the Old Testament at times confusing? Yes. Is it hard to know what to do with it? Yes. Are there things in there that, that to be honest, are going to, if people read them, they'll be like, this is really full on? Yes. And next week, we're going to talk about what to do with the Old Testament. But if a guy predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off and rises from the dead and says, I am from God, I am the Son of God, and you can trust what I say about the Old Testament, we should probably just go with him. Is that cool? Okay, so... We're halfway, well, no, we're way more than halfway there. Let's go do the New Testament. You ready? How are we going? Concentration. I feel like you need a break. Okay, turn to the person beside you. What is, what is one thing that you found helpful, one thing you found confusing about today? You've got 30 seconds, go. Okay, righto. Okay, so here's the go. Would it make sense if throughout history, God has been speaking to his people through what the, we call scripture, if all of that was leading and pointing to this one man, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, and then there was a bunch of people, now us, who begin to follow him and trust in him, would it make sense that God might want to continue to speak to his people? Yes. Would it make sense that he might use the same method? Yes. Now, this is ridiculous, but imagine our think tank. We live another 100 years. We just don't die. We found some awesome workout that keeps us going really strong, right? And we're 100 years later, and they start to say, listen, someone should collect some writings to add to the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and put them, um, the, the, some writings about Jesus and what Jesus wanted us to do as Christians, and we should put them all together, and we should make it one big library. And we're asking ourselves the question, okay, if that's true, and we're in charge of that, 
which documents are we going to put in there? That's a valid question. Would you agree? So um, we, we decide again, we've been meeting for 100 years now, we need to find out which documents we're going to put in the Bible. Now, let me, just, let me just make this very clear, right? Andy Stanley uses these analogies. A birth certificate does not produce a birth. A birth certificate records a birth. Is this making sense? The New Testament does not produce Christianity. The New Testament records an event that we believe in, which is Christianity. Is that cool? Secondly, you don't point, put an expensive coin... So a coin is not expensive and valuable because it's in a safe, right? You don't look at a safe and go, that coin's in a safe, it must be valuable. Rather, the reason it got put in the safe is because it's valuable. Is this making sense? So the reason we're going to put these documents in with the Bible is because we believe they are valuable. We believe they are from God. Putting them in the Bible doesn't make them from God. It's because we already believe that they're from God, that God was speaking through them, that we're going to put them in. Is this making sense? Okay, so um, Dan, where's Dan? We're going to get Dan to go do some research. Dan's going to find out what kind of documents are floating around. And, and what people have been doing, give Dan a big round of applause. Thanks, mate. All right, well, you gave me some answers. I don't know if they're correct. So I jumped on, um, I jumped on WikiLeaks and um, Julian helped me out. So, um, there were, so it turns out there are a lot of records about what Jesus did and what he said, and people put those records together. There was a doctor uh, in the New Testament. His name was Luke. I don't know about you. I know a few doctors. They're usually pretty trustworthy. They're usually pretty good. So it turns out they were pretty trustworthy back then too. Uh, he, was, he was paid and, and contracted, I guess, by a man called Theophilus, there's a name for you, to put together a biography of Jesus. And he says this, this is, comes from Luke, who was the doctor. He says, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that were, have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the, who the, from those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And there's another guy called John, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote a bit of a biography as well, a book, a book in the New Testament, as we know it now, called John. At the end of that book, he says this, he says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Fantastic. So, okay, so we know there's a lot of documents floating around about Jesus. We want to know which ones are from God and which ones we should include. Big question. There's another thing going on that we haven't really been talking about. That is that when Jesus was alive, he appointed apostles or disciples. And these apostles or disciples weren't just like you and I as followers of Jesus, but they were eyewitnesses of what Jesus had done and basically his death and resurrection. Added to that, they were appointed by Jesus with what they would describe as apostolic authority. That means that they have the authority to teach on behalf of Jesus. When you read the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, 
he establishes his apostolic authority so that he can teach doctrine. They had the authority to do that. And it was confirmed by miraculous supernatural events that accompanied the apostles. We have records, historical records of all the supernatural events that accompanied the apostles' lives. So if there's some documents floating around about Jesus and Jesus appointed these apostles to be his leaders of the church and his representatives and they were, their apostolic authority was confirmed by supernatural signs and wonders and miracles, would it make sense that we should probably go to them? What do you think? Yes. So we would hope that in some way, shape or form, the apostles are going to contribute to our New Testament. Is this making sense? Okay, we're almost done. I probably need about three more minutes. Are you ready? This is what actually happened. Our think tank is over. That's where we land. This is what happened. These are all the books of the New Testament. Four of the apostles, that is Matthew, John, Paul and Peter, wrote a fair chunk of the New Testament. So what we would expect... A fair chunk of the New Testament was written by those apostles. They were eyewitnesses. They had apostolic authority. They were appointed by Jesus. And there were supernatural signs and wonders that accompanied their life to confirm their apostolic authority. Is that making sense? Added to that, we've got three people. There's John Mark, who was connected with Peter, one of the apostles. There was Luke who was a companion to Paul, one of the apostles. And the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who that is, but we, we believe that he was in Paul's circle. He was connected with the apostle Paul. So whilst they are not apostles, they were, they were with the apostles and in, in a sense we may have been speaking with the apostles' voice. Is that cool? Then we just have James and Jude, who were brothers of Jesus. That's what we've got today. Now, there are three main streams of Christianity in the world. There's Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant. Everyone agrees on this, right? If you're part of the Protestant, we're part of the Protestant movement. There is Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Anglican, Methodist. Uh, we're part of we're the Brethren movement or Open Brethren movement. There's all sorts of different churches. We all agree on this. Now, you can do your own research. I would thoroughly recommend going and doing your own research. But if this is one of those things where you're like, you know what? I just like gravity when I thought it was about things falling to the ground. I don't want that formula. I just need to know the Bible's from God. I've experienced the power of God in my life. I've seen it work and it helps me make sense of the world. I've no reason to doubt it. That is fine too. But this is a way that some people come to believe the Bible's God's Word. Cool? I think we're done. You guys have done really well. This is like me teaching physics. This is hard to understand today. So you've done very well. Let's pray and we'll finish off. Um, Father, this is, it is hard to get our heads around, and um, I've probably done a really poor job of communicating today, Father, but I do pray that your Spirit, who we believe is alive and active, um, would be speaking to us and guiding us and showing us what uh, we need to know. For those of us who are not Christians, Father, I just pray you just put the right things in front of us so that we could take the next step in our journey. Um, and we, we pray, Father, we would do a really good job of loving people and dialoguing with people and understanding the questions and concerns that people have. This is not easy stuff to get ahead around. And we want to be thoughtful. We want to be humble. And we want to be able to dialogue in such a way that we're really helpful for those who are seeking you.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.